0: 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come to you now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours." Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, the Apostle Paul had... Quite a ministry going from somebody who was trying to fight against the church and to stop the church from its growth and its progress in spreading the gospel of the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection from the dead as a payment for our sins. The Apostle Paul tried to stamp that out at first, but in the midst of doing that, Jesus came and appeared to him as He talked about in chapter 15 a little bit. And the Apostle Paul's direction in life changed. He went from becoming the fiercest adversary of the gospel to the greatest promoter of it. They figure that he probably started 190 or better churches in his ministry. He was used to write a large part of the New Testament. Even though he was on the run for his life in in much of that time, and imprisoned part of that time, this is a guy that had a very effective ministry. And you know what we get to see in the in this last part of the book of 1 Corinthians, is we just get to see some little details about kind of what things contributed to that effective ministry. Well, that's what we want to consider here this morning is this idea of having an effective ministry. The Apostle Paul clearly did, and the people that served with him clearly were effective in spreading the Gospel in their communities at their time, even though they had to overcome uh, tremendous challenges to do just that. Well, our little church in our small town and community in northern Minnesota, we want to be effective in ministry as well. Some of the principles that we find that we're engaged in the Apostle Paul's ministry are very principles that can help to ensure our effectiveness also. In this passage that we go through, we're going to look at five different ingredients of effective ministry. Now, the first one that we see ought to be the first thing probably that stands out to us in this passage, and that is this idea of teamwork. Because within the passage we read of so many different people that are serving God in different ways. And you know, that's really what we're all called to do. There isn't really a, a separate class. You know, sometimes people look at kind of dividing like kind of clergy from laity, that kind of thing. And We're all called to ministry. We're all called to serve. We're all called to reach out to one another and in one another's lives and to be a blessing to one another. There isn't a place for Christians to be spectators. We're all to be involved, engaged in one way or another, using the gifts that God has given us to bring benefits to the church and to other people. And so we're all ministers in that sense. Well, that's what we see when we look at the Apostle Paul. Now, he was the Apostle, but he talks about so many other people in the end of this letter just as being like co-servants. Other people serving along with him and serving in different churches and in their different places. And the floor is kind of level there. In verses 10 and 11, it says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me from I'm expecting him with the brothers? Why would they not welcome Timothy? Why would they not recognize his service in the Lord? But you know what? When you look back at their history, there's reason for it. Remember chapter 3, the Apostle says, you guys are are dividing over nothing. Some of you are saying, I'm following Peter. Other ones are saying, I'm following Paul. and Other ones are saying, I'm following Apollos. And then you got the real spiritual ones saying, I'm following Christ. You've made divisions among you based on what leader you're following. And he's like, Why? Which one of us died for you? Which one of us names were you baptized in? Chapter 4, he says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So you see, the Apostle Paul was sending Timothy to go to Corinth to help the church become better established and know the truth. And he says, look, you need to accept Timothy. Honor him. He's going to do a good work among you. You know what? The Apostle Paul wasn't able to be there at that time, but Timothy was. Teamwork. You know, in the ministry of any church, it requires a lot of teamwork. Just as we finished last week with Club Jam, our last Club Jam takes a lot of helpers, a lot of people serving to help and to have a ministry like that Club Jam ministry. And so it takes a lot of teamwork for those things to happen. Even with the Apostle Paul, ministry is not a one-person show. It is a team of people. You know, it's interesting when you read through like the book of Acts and other places in the New Testament, Paul is always accompanied by somebody. He's always serving with Barnabas or with Silas or with Timothy and sending Timothy to different places and sending Titus to different places. The Apostle Paul has all these relationships and networks with these people that are serving with and alongside and in behalf of uh, his ministry. It is a definite teamwork. Also in 1 Corinthians in this passage here in verses 15-18, through 18, he says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts of, of Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. He says, be subject to such of these and to every fellow worker and laborer. And down toward the end of that passage, he says, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. What does that mean? He made up for your absence. He's saying, look, while you're not able to be with me, these people that you send... Uh, can be. They can accomplish what you wanted to accomplish though you couldn't be here, just like Timothy would accomplish what Paul wanted to, even though he couldn't be there. When you look at our ministry, Little Fork Baptist Church is involved in ministry in different areas of the world, even. How? We're not there. We're in Brazil through the missionaries that we support of the Surettes. We've been in Israel and we've been in Haiti and when we've been in Africa and, and we got different missionaries that we have supported and do support in different places around the world. Well, without the teamwork and the support from us and the prayer from us, they can't go. And they can't be effective. And without their willingness to go, we can't have an impact on the world. So the the Gospel, whether it's local, right here within our own church and with our own young people, or whether it's out into the community as a whole, or whether it's across the world, an effective ministry is a ministry of teamwork. That's why He refers to the church as the body. And the body is made up of many members and they don't all do the same thing, but everybody has a part. And so that kind of a body function, that kind of a teamwork is required for effective ministry. Well, not only do we have teamwork, but effective ministry also takes time. You've got to be willing to take the time, invest the time to get to know people, to be able to be an example in their life, to be able to insert truth into their life, to be able to build those relationships, to be a benefit to other people. You know, the Apostle Paul in this passage in verse 7 He says, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. In other words, if I came right now, it would just be on my way to somewhere else. It would just be time that's in passing. I wouldn't have the time to sit down and really get involved in your life. I don't want to come right now in passing. What I want to do is I want to come later when I can spend more time. And he says, you know what, hopefully, maybe even we can work it out so I can spend the whole winter with you. You know, he did spend some time in different places. The Ephesus church he spent about three years collectively. The Corinthian church he spent two years in the time periods that he visited that church. And so he's taken the time for these churches and building these churches up and strengthening the people and reaching out into their lives. You know, that was one of the things that really attracted me to small town ministry. Not long before we were approached by Little Fork Baptist Church, we'd been in a ministry out in Seattle, a much larger area. And then we'd come back to Oatana and we were in a smaller location there and helping with the youth group there. And I was thinking through some of these things, and a couple things really stood out to me. To be honest with you, they weren't all from super spiritual sources. I remember watching the movie Pollyanna with my kids one time and seeing this pastor... Now, don't worry, you're not going to get the old death comes unexpectedly sermon from me. (laughs) Although it does. (laughs) But there's a guy that pastor in a church, and you know what? He he had his blunders, but he was part of a community. And not just the church community, but he had a real impact in the culture around him. Because he's in a smaller community. You know, when I lived in Seattle, you didn't know your neighbors. You knew all your people that you met at church. You knew all the people you worked for. You knew. And I'll take it back. I knew a couple of my neighbors. But the fact of the matter, a guy could live at the end of your block and you don't even have a clue who it is. Wouldn't even recognize him if you bumped into him in the store. I remember reading this statement. They said this. They said, You can impress people from a distance. You can only impact them up close. And I thought, Who cares about impressing? We want to impact. And so then it seemed to me that. Actually, a smaller community had so many more benefits because do I know everybody in Little Fork? I don't know everybody in Little Fork. But, you know, I know of probably most everybody in Little Fork. And you know what? They know at least of me. And I know many more people in Little Fork than I ever did in Seattle that are in my community. And the fact of the matter is if they rub shoulders with me or even know me from day to day, you, you learn who people are and they learn who you are and they get to know you. Good points, bad points, all of it wrapped up together, but the point is there's reality within your relationship. You have that in a smaller community. You're not spending so much time stuck in traffic and so much time standing in lines and you have more time to relate to one another and to know people better. And that's an awesome thing for ministry. We really have quite an opportunity in our community. When you think of how many people are sitting here today, with all these people in this size of a community, how much impact can we make if we take the time to get to know the people and to be a blessing in their life? When I think of the Apostle Paul's schedule and all the places, the missionary trips where he went visiting these churches or starting these churches to begin with and then getting back to home base and then going out and making another trip where he visited those churches and then started some more, I look at it and I think, how in the world did he ever have enough time to spend three years' worth of time in Ephesus? How in the world was he ever two years in Corinth? But somehow he did it. He had time for people. He had time to build into those lives because you know what? That is the ministry. It happens in those uh, environments. So effective ministry involves teamwork, everybody working together. It involves time where we spend time in one another's lives. It also involves planning. In verses 5-9, through he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits." but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. So notice that his planning involves a couple things. The first thing that his planning involves is vision. He's got some vision of what he wants to do. He's, he's making some plans to fulfill that vision. He's like there's a opportunity that is big coming right up that I need to be at that. And so I'm not going to come yet. I'm going to use that opportunity to the best of my ability. He's got some vision with them. He's like, I don't want to just come see you in passing. I want to come spend some time with you as we already talked about. He's coordinating these things. He can see things that he wants to accomplish just like our church. In our church we have different things we want to accomplish. We have uh, ministries we want to accomplish among kids and ministries we want to accomplish among our teenagers. Ministries we want to accomplish. He was looking to see what doors were open and planning ahead of where he was going to spend his winter and and, uh, investing his time in Ephesus looking forward to his time in Corinth and he had that vision to be able to put that together. But not only that, he also had flexibility, because in verse seven he says, "For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you." Notice what he says: "If the Lord permits." So even though the apostle Paul had this vision, he says, "I think I need to go do this. I need to take care of that." He he recognized that, you know what? God might have some plans that he doesn't know about. He did experience that in his ministry. There's one point in his ministry where I think it was right at the beginning of his second missionary journey, if I remember correctly. He talked about wanting to go back and visit all the churches that he had started on his first missionary journey. And so he starts doing that, starts visiting these churches. And then there's a place in his ministry, in his travels there, where he says that the Holy Spirit stopped him from going up into Achaia. Didn't know why, but he says the Holy Spirit stopped him from going there. And the next thing you see happen is he gets this Macedonian call. Go across to Macedonia and reach out to those people and take the Gospel there. And so the Apostle Paul had firmly planned on going up into this area and visiting all those churches. And God says, nope, you need to go over here, start some new churches over in this area. After you get over into Macedonia, you hit Philippi, which Church of the Philippians, Letter of Philippians, then Corinth. So that's what led to the ministry to these people. And so, the Apostle Paul, even though he had great vision, he was flexible. Well, the Bible encourages us that way. We've actually already seen an example of that in the Apostle's life back in chapter 4. In verse 15, he tells them, he says, But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. In fact, you know, in the Bible, we're encouraged to always kind of have that phrasing in our speech, or at least that understanding in our hearts and minds. That our wills need to be subject to God's will, and we may not be totally in tune with everything as God has going on. You know, lo and behold, He might have a plan that He hasn't let us in on yet. <laughs> and so we need to be subject to that. Well, in James chapter 4 verses 13 through 15, He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend the year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Recognizing the limitedness of our vision. Recognizing the limitedness of our life. Recognize that God's in control and He can change that if He wills. And that we might learn more about His will and head a different direction. You know, I've seen people at times maybe struggle with a a retirement that came on maybe earlier than they thought, or maybe a health issue, or it could be a tragedy, it could be a blessing that comes along your path, and all of a sudden it looks like, hey, wait a minute, my plan was to do this, I was headed to this way, well, you know, maybe there's something God's got that He hasn't quite let you in on all of it yet? We need to be open to those kind of things. Well, not only is that affected by what God does in our lives individually, but remember, this ministry, the very first point of being effective ministry was what? It was teamwork. Which means we're impacted by other people's lives as well. And the Apostle Paul points that out also. In verse 12 he says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all in his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. It was the Apostle Paul's great desire for Apollos to go and serve in Corinth. And Apollos didn't do it. And Paul did not say that Apollos was doing anything wrong. Paul just acknowledged that, you know what, just like Paul has to make his plans and he has to submit to God and God's will in his life, Apollos has the freedom to make his plans and submit to God and his will in his life. And you know what, I really can't tell you what you should be doing or where you can be going or where you should be serving or those kinds of things. God's gotta work that stuff in your life. And you really can't tell me what I should be doing or what, where I should be using my gifts or what. I gotta make those decisions in my life. The point is your decisions impact me because we're a team and my decisions impact you because we're a team and and Apollos we were impacting the Corinthians and impacting the apostle Pauls and but everybody had to make their own choices that flexibility Paul's like boy for the things I want to see happen it would be really good to have Apollos over there but apparently God's not leading not, God's not showing him the same direction so and he doesn't even say you know what when Apollos gets his heart right he's going to be there he just says you know what he'll come see you when when God tells them it's time, we've got to be flexible with our own schedule, some. We've got to be flexible with other things that God brings into our life. We've got to be flexible in dealing with other people because, you know, everybody's not going to jump on board on all your plans. And that's okay. Maybe it's not God's will for them to jump on board on that particular plan or whatever. My first year of ministry here, I thought I'm going to learn what the town's like. Maybe get some kind of creative programs. Get something started to reach out to the communions. Now to be honest, the books that I was reading on small town ministry, on rural ministry, was like go to that church and don't do anything for a year. But they said don't try to start up a new ministry. Just try to fit in what they already have. And start to get to know the people and learn the people and learn the community. And then you know what's best? When you do have a good idea, an idea that you think is worth it, then just mention it to a couple people. If it shows up about three weeks later as their idea, then that's a good idea. Do it. And if it doesn't, don't do it. Because it probably wasn't a good idea. And I by and large followed that. Except I remember there was a thing or two that I thought this would be really good. And I did them. And they fell completely flat. Nothing. I had one event that I tried to do. You know what? Not one person came. After I got to know the culture a little more, I knew why. They didn't need what I was offering. We're a team. We've got to function as a unit. So we need vision. We need flexibility. We need that planning. Also, you know, we need need toughness. Because every ministry is going to face its oppositions. Every ministry is going to face its challenges and its struggles. And the Corinthian church was no different. In fact, I would say they had more struggles than most after going through this letter. Well, in verse 9, he says, For a wide door and effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. He said, look, there is a big opportunity for the gospel here. And because of that, there are many adversaries. You know what? If you are striving to be effective in ministry, and if you are starting to break ground at getting into people's lives and, and bringing the gospel, you know what? Satan's not going to leave that unchallenged. He's going to oppose anything that looks anywhere near effective. And so you've got to anticipate that there's going to be struggles. You know, he wasn't going to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to come to Corinth now because things are kind of heating up in Ephesus. No, he says there are many adversaries, but that's because there's a great opportunity and I'm going to serve here. Well, also we see him directly tell the Corinthians what they needed to do with their own mindset and attitude about it. He says in verses 13 and 14, be watchful, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I love that. He starts off. Be watchful. In other words, attentive. See what's going on around you. See where the opposition is. See where the opportunities are. Watch for these things. As you're doing that, stand firm in your faith. Be solid. Be that. Be that rock. He says, "Act like men." I love that. Act like men. How how do we say that in our day? We have a term for that. Very closely related. Man up. Right. That's what he's saying. He's saying, "Man up." You know, here you've got an institution that was started by a man, Jesus Christ. He picked his apostles, twelve more men, and started this church. And they started growing by leaps and bounds, thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And now when you look across the church in America, men are in the minority. If that's the case then the men in the church in the United States of America, it is definitely time for us to man up. It is time for men to to lead in their homes and lead in the spiritual lives of their children and their upbringing and their grandchildren. And Men need to step up. Men need to man up. In the Old Testament, you look through, in the book of Judges, God used judge after judge, 13 of them, to deliver Israel from enemies at different times as they called out upon God. God used these judges to deliver them. Well, there's one judge within the lineup of judges named Deborah. And Deborah is with Barak. And she sees what needs to happen. And she says, this is what's gotta go to happen. We gotta go to battle. And Barak says, well, I'll only go if you'll go with me. And I think, you coward. And Deborah, Deborah was honorable. God had her as a judge. She's an honorable woman. And she says to Barak, she says, okay, but we're gonna go, and God's gonna give Israel the victory. And the glory of the victory in a war is going to go to a woman. Now that's just wrong. The men need to fight those battles. The men are who needs to be in war. I'm not diminishing women at all. Not at all. In fact, I would say kudos to Deborah for manning up when the man wouldn't. That's not the ideal, right? That's not what we're shooting for. We don't need to have a church full of women that will man up because the men won't. We need a church full of men who will man up and women who will be the women of God that they need to be. But they don't need to do both jobs. We need to do our job. And I'm not talking just within our church. I'm talking within all, all our communities, within all of America. It's, it's time for men to stand back up and to do what they need to do and to lead where they're supposed to lead and to be that impact on, in their homes and in their communities and in their children's and grandchildren's lives there's an adversary to ministry. And we don't shy back from those adversaries. That's when we need to stand up to those adversaries. When you see the direction of the culture around you going a direction that is unbiblical, that is not Christian, it is us who need to stand up and be vocal about those kinds of things. And at the same time, notice what the very last part of it is. Everything to be done in love. We do it. We stand firm in our faith. We stand strong. We combat the adversaries, but we do it all in Love, reaching out to those people. They're not the enemy. They're the victim of the enemy. G. Campbell Morgan put it this way. He says, if you have no opposition in the place that you serve, you are serving in the wrong place. That might just be true. If if wherever you're serving, there's no hurdles to come, no challenges, no opposition, then maybe it's because you're not in the place God has gifted you for. Because if you're using your gifts, there should be some kind of fruitfulness from it and Satan wouldn't let that go unchallenged. Now, to be fair i think sometimes maybe our churches aren't challenging our men enough maybe we're not finding the structures to give them that opportunity to succeed because i think that in a man that even that phrase man up is alluring to men you know, I remember hearing about an event one time where it was kind of like a maybe a job fair, and each person had a few minutes to go up and say, we got these kind of opportunities, come and fulfill these kinds of things. And this one guy, if I remember right, I think it was from the Marine Corps, he walked up and he said just a few words. He looked out over this uh, group of students, and he says, you know what? When I look out over a group this size, I would say there may be two people in here that could handle the challenges and do what we need you to do. And to be successful. After this all breaks up, I'd like to talk to those two people. And you know who had the largest crowd of students after that thing? That guy. What did he do? He dropped them a challenge. Are you going to step up? And you know what they did? They said, I want to I step up. Well, I want to take that challenge. And so maybe there's some things that we need to think of in our ministry that way too. Things that compel men. Well, there's a toughness to effective ministry. If we're going to be effective in our ministry, we need to be tough. We need to not be afraid or cower away. We need to be tough. And lastly, one thing that contributes to that as well is we need examples. The Apostle Paul looked toward the last part of this, this letter, verses 15-18, through 18, and he starts pointing out and calling people by name. He says they've devoted themselves to the service of the saints. About others, he says they've made up for your absence, for they re- refresh my spirit as well as yours. Because of that, he wants everybody, the whole church, to treat them in two specific ways. And the first way is, he says, be subject to such as these. In other words, those people that step up from among your midst and really get involved and serve, get involved with what they're doing. Follow them. Be subject to them in the things that they're getting going. You've got somebody that all of a sudden is running with the ministry and going, say, hey, how can I help? First of all, we need to submit to them. But then notice there's also this, he says, that we need to honor them. He says give recognition to such people. We need heroes to look up to, right? We need good examples that kind of encourage us to do better or to do more or to to be strong when we're tempted to be weak, to be faithful when we're tempted to be slothful. Mark Young is a good friend of mine. He's been on our prayer list for a long time. He's the kind of person that every time I'm around him, I leave there wanting to be a better pastor. The things that we talk about and just the encouragement, some of the gifts we share are alike, and some of the gifts that we share are different. But I always leave being around Mark wanting to be better at what I do. We need to not be afraid. Sometimes we're afraid, right? Because we're like, well, we're going to pat this guy on the back, but you know what? Uh, Everything that good comes, comes from God, so it's actually God's work in that guy. Well, that's true, and we all know all that. But the fact of the matter, you know what Paul's saying right here? Pat the guy on the back. Pat that woman on the back. Say, good job. Go ahead hold them up as an example and say, you know what? This person has been doing a really great thing in the ministry among us. Why? Because it makes all of us say, yeah, that's a good example. That's something we we can do. That's something, an area I can help with. So the Apostle Paul looks at these people, this church, and he says, you know what? You've got to have good examples among you. Those people that are good examples, one, just jump in and help them. But secondly, put them on a pedestal a little bit. Honor them. It'll help you. It'll help your kids, your grandkids, because every time you point to something like that, your kids take notice and say, oh, that's what gets people patted on the back around here. And you know what? we got a lot of things like that happening. Apostle Paul says, recognize those things. So as we consider here this morning, we want to be effective in our ministry. Well, to do that takes a lot of teamwork. It's not a one-person show, and it takes a lot of time. It takes time to build into people's lives, to get to know them, when we first see a life, a lot of times we think we have their answers. We don't even know what their questions are yet. It takes time to get to the answers a little bit. It takes planning. We need some vision. We need to see where there's opportunities and try to plug into those, into those opportunities. It takes some flexibility too because nothing ever seems to go quite like you thought it was going to. And so there's some flexibility that needs to take place as well. There's a toughness. We're going to face some obstacles, some hurdles to overcome and challenges and we need to face those challenges. And as people rise to the occasion, we need to recognize the example that's before us.